All right, let's get going on this. I've only got about two hours worth of notes here, so it'll be... No, just kidding. All right. Start with Scripture, Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? You were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in his death like his, we shall certainly be reunited with him in his resurrection. That's a whole message in itself right there, so I don't have all, all day to go into that one, but that's a, I love that scripture. That if we were baptized into his death, we will rise again with him. Now, it's not that we're facing his death. It's not that we're being crucified on the cross, but the fact that we get to join together in a, a, a ceremonial-style death of what he went through, that when we are born again, we are raised to newness in Christ. You know, I was, I was thinking about this, and like, how do I, because I wanted to talk about baptism today, but how do you talk about baptism without talking about salvation? How do you talk about resurrection without death and burial? How do you talk about coming up the new man without talking about killing the old man? And so, in Romans 1, it says that uh, in the beginning, creation itself was made by God, but it, I'm just paraphrasing this, it says, but... It came out with ignorant claims of people who were trying to figure out any way to not worship the one true God. They tried to figure out any way to not worship God. Because this, despite the fact that they knew the one true God, they failed to show love, honor, and appreciation due to the one who created them. Instead, their lives were consumed by vain thoughts that poison their foolish hearts. Anybody ever had a vain thought? Yes, we've all had a vain thought. John 14, 6, it says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That right there is the answer to every question about who is God, what religion is true, what religion is not true. We can talk about this person, that person, this religion, this religion, but it only comes down to this. And Jesus said, I am the only way. The only way to the Father, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Whoever means you. You're a whoever. God didn't create whatevers and whenevers and theyevers. He created whoevers. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord. That means that they call on the name of Jesus and they repent and turn from their sins. Repentance means to what? Turn from. Sarah answered that question. Anybody? Everybody else? To turn from. To do a 180 and to turn from sin and to walk away and to walk towards God and to walk into the newness that he has in, his, in him. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's pretty simple. Everybody acts like salvation is this, this really hard process of, of coming to God when it's really two simple things. Yeah. It says, confess with your mouth and believe with your heart. A lot of times we try to make the process of salvation this, well, you know, you have to really... You have to really get into the sobbiness of it. 
A lot of people are born again at the altar, crying, snotting, and whatever. And a lot of people are born again when they have that conversation with God and they realize they need a savior. They realize that they need someone to take away their sins. And then they have that, that moment where they have that conversation with God and they say, I believe you are the son of God and I give my life to you. I think we try to, in our modern mythology of trying to figure out a way to get salvations in mass numbers, we try to invoke emotion into them. We try to get the mass group of people to, to uh, come forward. And it's really not how it was supposed to be. There, there's, no, there's nothing in the, the New Testament that I read where in the Gospels or any of the other New Testament where they try to teach you how to do an altar call. Because Paul says, confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord. It does, it, he didn't say, do that and then come down to the front and then we'll pray for you. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong. That's great. I'm 100% for that. But I believe that it's a personal choice. And it doesn't have to be a public choice. Don't get all bunched up on that one. It doesn't have to be a public choice. Don't, don't get all. What I'm saying is that choice might have been made driving to work one morning when you're struggling and going through things and you know that God is tugging on your heart. Yeah. It might have been while you're laying in bed at night and you're dealing with sickness or disease and it might be out of fear so sometimes salvation is is out of fear because you don't want to go to hell you hear about hell and you're like i don't want to go there the rest of my life i'm afraid of this i'm going to get saved because it's out of fear and sometimes it is a public thing where you come up front and you are making that decision and all of us have been at one of those you know you understand that you are lost and you need Jesus. Sometimes it's, I did it in front of people. Sometimes it's in the privacy of your own home. And I think we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with, if they're born again, they're born again. It doesn't have to be this public thing where they, they come up front and everybody cheers and claps for them. Because what happens when someone is born again? Who cheers and claps for them? It says the angel in heaven rejoice that one has come into the kingdom. So I, 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 I think salvation is not as black and white as we want it to be when it comes to the public part of it. Romans 5.8 says, God showed his great love for us that in this, that while we were yet sinners, while we were still doing ridiculously stupid things, living lifestyles that were Far from God, he sent his son to die for us. I can't imagine how, you can't even understand or imagine the amount of love uh, uh, that God has for us that he would do that. Knowing the mess that we've been in in our lives, knowing that God would send his son to come and die for the sins that we hadn't even committed yet. That while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ put himself on the cross. He could have, it's, it's funny because everybody's like, oh, he was murdered. No, he wasn't. 
You can only murder someone who doesn't give you permission to put them there. Jesus wasn't a murderer. He was a sacrifice. There's a difference between a murderer and a sacrifice. Jesus, yes, he was killed, but he voluntarily went to the cross. He didn't say, no, I'm not going. You're not going to put me there. And then someone put him there. He voluntarily gave up his life for us. Because Romans 6.23 says the payment for sin is death. We're not talking you dying and going to the grave. We're talking about eternal death, separation from God. That scares me. To think of that. Having a relationship with God, that thought of eternal separation from God scares me. And I, I don't know about you, but it puts fear in my heart. And I don't, it's not in a way of... I'm, I'm afraid that God's not going to take care of me. But having the thought of being separated from God, not having his presence. And we're not talking like I can see God. His disciples were so focused on seeing Jesus. Oh, he's gone. What do we do? We run around like chickens with our head cut off and we hide when we're, we don't know what to do. But we're talking about an eternal separation from God. And that is really scary that we would not be able to sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, not be able to call out to the name of Jesus, not being able to call out to God and say, Father, I need you. That should scare the heck out of you. We're going to go with fear towards the end of this. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But I'm just saying is that is a very scary thought to be separated from God. What I really find intriguing is that when God sent his son before we were even born, that means he saw some glimmer of hope inside of us. There was some value that he saw inside of us. Not that we were good, not that we were doing good things. It's that we were sinful. Uh, Don't get me wrong, we're, we're on our own. We are just really messed up. We can just come up with the worst things ever. Just look at humanity and you can like, yep, that's what life is without Jesus. But he saw value in us. Even as sinners, he saw value in us. I mean, how good is that, that, that a God who doesn't really need us desired to have a relationship with us? He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to serve him. He doesn't need us to but he desired to have a relationship with us. He desired to be our father. And that's why when we talk about adoption, that's what it is. Is God saying, I don't need them, but I I desire them and I'm going to bring them into my family. I was uh, watching this uh, report this week and um, it was talking about how Roe versus Wade being overturned has just unleashed the hordes of trolls and orcs onto the, uh, into the public to scream and shout about it. And um, yes, I did say that. Um, but what it did is it, it actually showed that conservative Christians actually make less than their counterparts across the, across the aisle. They give more. They adopt on a rate of three times higher than people across the aisle. Think about this. We give more, we make less, and we adopt more. 
if that's not the heart of God to adopt and to bring in, I don't know what is. If we're three times more likely to, to adopt kids than, than other people, as Christians, that's the heart of the Father in work. And that's what God did. He said, you know, I don't really need you, but I find value in you and I want to bring you in. I want to make you my son. I want to make you my daughter. Second Peter 3.9 says this. Well, I'm going to read 8.2, but it says, But do not overlook the, the one fact. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some may count as slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. And verse 10 says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and the heavens will pass away with an uproar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and its works are done on it will be exposed. Think about this. God is so patient, so loving, so willing to wait for us that none should perish. Think about it. He's, he wants everyone. It says that everyone will, hear the God, will be able to hear the gospel before he returns. They will be able to understand who God is and be able to repent and come into new life with him. And I, 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 how many of you guys are really patient? How many, how many patient people do we have in the, in the room? We got like three people in here. Patient people. No, no, no. The Richards house is not a household of patience. Um, we may love, but we're not patient. We're, we're, we're working on uh, patience. <laughs> They're all just, yeah, like, yep, that's the, yep. Yeah. Yes, we're bringing in patient people. That's what I got. Yes, they are. <laughs> so, the household of the Richards is not very patient. We're working on it with each other. And, um, but God, think about this. Think about all the times you've been patient with your kids and you want to explode on them and, and just you know, say things and do things, but you're patient. Now, take that times the entire population of Earth for all of, etern- for all of humanity even on Earth and put that on one person. That's how God is. And he can say, you know what? Hey, it's okay. I love you. How, how deep and wide is that, that he is so willing to hold his son back from returning that everybody will hear him, that everybody will come to know him? Because Jesus is just like, I'm ready. Let's go. I'm ready. When, tell me when. Jesus doesn't know when. God's like, I will tell you when it's time to come back. We don't know. I love it when people are like, oh, I know Jesus is coming back in 2021. I'm like, or whatever. I'm like, yeah. That's been said for like the last 2,000 years. So, you know. So if someone tells you or you watch a video that tells you that Jesus is coming back on that day, click next video. Just say it. But God is patient. And he loves us. And when, when we are born again, there's something that changes inside of us. The old man is dead. 
The new man is, is alive. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When the old man is dead, don't bring him back. Don't carry that old rotting man and put him on your back and be like, I'm going to go live a life with Jesus. Because what happens is the old man turns into a zombie. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't turn into a zombie. Um, but it, it's, it's like that. And what happens is, is this, is when, when we bring, when the new man is there, he is new. There's nothing that hinders him from communicating with Christ and, and talking with Christ and, and fellowshipping with Christ. But what happens is when we, put, when we like dig up the old man, then what happens is we start to have that breakdown. We start to have that, that moments where the old man has more influence than the Holy Spirit has in our life. So what I love about baptism is this, is it's symbolic and it's not a requirement for salvation, but it's a command that Jesus gave. And baptism is a personal and public identification with Jesus Christ. It's, per, it's, it's publicly saying, this is who I serve, this is who I follow. If you don't like it, that's okay. But this is who I choose to follow. Paul says in Acts 19, said, John baptized with repentance, telling people to believe that there was one that was going to come after him. So John's out in the, in the, the wilderness, we're eating weird bugs and we're wearing weird clothes, and he's like, repent for the, because Jesus is coming. The, the salvation is at hand. The kingdom of God is coming. And he's, he's preaching out in the wilderness. People are getting saved. They're repenting from their sins, getting baptized. And then Jesus steps into the scene. And John's out there baptizing. I don't know how many people he's baptized, but Jesus steps into the scene and says, I need you to baptize me. And John's like, I'm not even worthy to unlace your sandals. You should be the one baptizing me. But Jesus said, no, it is to fulfill what is right. So what Jesus is doing is he's setting an example for us. He's like, John, you're going to baptize me because this is what I want my disciples to do. I want them to do what you're doing and what I'm going to go through. So I was just doing some reading over the last couple days, and um, I found this, and it's, it's really cool. Uh, it says, baptism, how it relates to Jesus. It means we have turned from our old sinful life to a new life in Christ. It's pretty straightforward. It means publicly identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection, resurrection of Jesus. So what it means is this, is when we are there, is the, when we stand up and we're standing in that water, we're getting ready to be dunked. We're standing there. It is, the, it is representation of the old man. When we go under, it is a representation of Christ dying. And when we come back up, it is the representation of Jesus' resurrection into life. But what it also is this, is, uh, is baptism is, is openly recognizing and um, openly saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. Yes. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think about it. I'm going to follow Jesus. There's something um, very important about baptism. Not that, that it's just a command that Jesus said that we need to do, but there's something that, that changes in our hearts and our spirits when it happens. I'm not saying you're, you get 
born again or whatever when you're baptized. I'm saying that there's something about publicly declaring who you are following and, how, and what you're going to do that energizes our spirit. It brings something into our spirit that's like, this is even realer than I thought. I've seen people who are born again and they cannot live right and they're just struggling. They get baptized and there's just something that clicks in their spirit, something that connects and all of a sudden their life changes. It's pretty cool. It says this. It says, when you are baptized, you're in fact visually preaching the gospel. By your standing there, going under, coming back, you're visually preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, of his death, burial, and resurrection. It's not just a, uh, an act. It is, there's something spiritual in being physically baptized. It's, it's making a, a, a stand to the kingdom of hell and saying, I'm not going back. I'm going to live my life. Devil, go get, you can go kick rocks. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is I who no longer live, but Christ in me. So when we are born again, it is, it's not me. I'm, I buried that old person. It's Christ that lives in me. It's the Holy Spirit that lives in me to empower me and to lead me and to guide me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Think about that. He loved me and gave himself for me. We hear all these traces of that throughout uh, the, uh, the New Testament about the bride of Christ and the body of Christ and, and the, uh, the groom and the bride of Christ. It's that he gave himself for us. Not, oh, well, Jesus died for us and he loves us. And No, he gave himself for us. He didn't, we didn't take it from him. He gave it to us. We didn't go and barter for it. He freely gave a gift that we can accept. For all of you... Uh, Christians who are, I'm going to call you old timers who have been saved for more than 30 years. You've been through a lot. You've seen a lot. Do you guys remember what your lives were like before you were saved? Yes. Do you remember the lifestyle you lived before you were saved? Yes. Because what happens is, is this, is when You've been in Christ for so long, you start to look back and go, how did I think that way? How did I live that way? How did I make those decisions? And you look at your life now and you're like, how much better is it with Jesus? How much better is my life that I surrendered my life to Christ? The problem with our culture is, oh, you surrender yourself. I'm, you can't tell me what to do. Well, I can't. There has to be, uh, you know, we have to, you have to give me something so I can get something out of it. Well, that means he's going to be in charge of me, and I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. So, let me reiterate this. He gave his life for us. You surrender your life to him. He gives you new life. It's a pretty good trade. It's a pretty good thing that when we surrender our lives, when we call him Lord, he gives us new life. I can't think of anything better. 
But we want to, you know, our culture wants to justify, even in the church we want to justify, well, you know, it's, it's following Jesus is, you know, it's hard. No, it's not hard to follow Jesus. If you're willing to follow Jesus, it is not hard. If you're willing to dig the old man up, it's going to be hard. Did he not say, oh, my yoke is hard and it's heavy and it's going to be horrible on you? No, he said, my yoke is what? Well, don't all say it at once. Easy. He said, my yoke is easy. He's not going to be a a taskmaster whipping us and beating us and putting pressure on us. He says, my yoke is easy. Life in Christ will be easy with him. I didn't say in the flesh. I said in him. Our relationship with God should be easy. Now, in the world, it's not going to be. They're going to say, oh, you just, you're one of those Christians. Darn right I am. If you don't like it, move on. We have to get to a point where we're not afraid as Christians to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I pray for people. Do you want me to pray for you? People are so, uh, Christians are afraid to say, in America, we're a Christian. Hello? Have you ever seen China? We're so afraid to say, oh, we're Christian in a, in a country that gives us any freedom we pretty much want. But we're, not, we're too afraid to say, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus and I follow Jesus. Or can I pray with you? We don't live in a country that torments us and persecutes us and imprisons us because we're Christians. They're trying to work on it, but we're, gonna, we're working on that too. But we have the ability to preach the gospel. We have the ability to, to ask anybody at work, hey, can I pray with you? Hey, can I tell you about Jesus? But for some reason, we're just like, oh, no, we're not really going to do that. I don't understand how a persecuted church can be more into witnessing and sharing the gospel than a church that is lazy. Colossians 2, 12 through 15 says this, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you know you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands that is set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Think about this. He canceled our debt. He didn't send it to one of those places that, you know, bundles it all up and then gives it back to you. He canceled it. Sorry. That was just too easy. Um, He didn't make other people pay for your debt when you didn't want to pay for it. He said, I'm going to cancel your debt. Your debt is going to be put on me, and when I take it, it's gone. Do you realize even before you're born again, your debt is canceled? You just have to accept that. You just have to accept Christ that it is, he's already paid for it. We just have to receive him as Lord and Savior. It's not like, oh, my debt is not canceled until I ask him to to cancel it. No, it is canceled. He took it upon himself 2,000 years ago to pay for it all. It's just, it's our job to accept it. Think about this. If you had 
all kinds of massive amounts of debt and you were struggling to pay your bills and someone called up and said, oh, by the way, I've taken care of all your debt. Well, what do I have to do? Nothing. Just accept it. Oh, I don't know. Everybody's like, yeah, I'd love to have my house paid off. Um, but think about it. That, that's what we do in our world. We're like, oh, Jesus paid it for it all, but I don't know. I don't know if that one thing I did was bigger than what his blood could co- cover. That, that's the problem is we try to justify our own sin over the, 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 the power of Jesus' blood and over what he did for salvation. So we have to accept that free gift. And as, as we accept that free gift, it is our job to, to make a public statement that I am going to follow Jesus. I am going to live my life in him and through him. And Jesus commands, says in Matthew 28, 18, says, And Jesus said to them, we are them, even though it was 2,000 years ago, we get to be them. He's talking to his disciples, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you are them. So we're just going to go with that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he didn't say, hey, see you later. I'll see you whenever I come back. He gave them a final command. He gave them a final charge. He said, go, make disciples of men. So he didn't say, hey, go make converts. He said, make disciples of men. We have too many converts in, in, our, in our country and in our churches. We need disciples to follow Jesus. Yes. We've played church for so long. We've played go to church and, and drink the coffee and you know feel good about myself and go to get what I need, but that's not a disciple. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ who's willing to give his life up for Jesus. His disciples didn't just say, okay, thanks, see you later, and then didn't do anything and just said, oh, we we get together as a small group in the the upper room because we don't want to let anybody know we're here. No, what happened after Jesus left, the church multiplied, not by like five or six, it multiplied by thousands. So he said, hey, I'm giving you this command to go do it. Is follow Jesus, make disciples of all nations, and baptize them. I think that's what we're going to do today. We have to start to stay, take a stand and say, well, we're going to be followers of Jesus. We're going to, ha- we ha- we're going to have to take a stand. The problem is, is we let the orcs and the trolls, be louder than what Jesus is. We're like, well, you know, I just don't want to push it on people. So what? If they don't like it, they don't like it. Say something. We wonder why we lose ground because we're so afraid to say something. Even if they don't accept it, you making a stand puts a, puts a stronghold there and says, I'm not backing down. And that's what we, we've forgotten to do in the church. We got saved, we followed Jesus, it's all kumbaya, we love him, and he loves us, but we won't make a stand publicly and say, no, this is where I put my foot down. Yeah. I won't allow this in my house. I won't allow this in my, my work. I won't allow this around me. I won't do this. I'm not going to accept this. You know, it's funny is, is we got all these 
churches celebrating Roe versus Wade being overturned, but they're so afraid they do anything about it. Well, we don't want people to persecute us or firebomb our church. Well, that wouldn't be good, but here's the thing. It's taking a stand. We've, it's been overturned. Now what do we do? We have to make a bold statement that we will follow Jesus. We will support life. We will help people bring their babies into existence so we don't murder more. This might get us banned from iTunes. Well, but Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to what? Follow me. He says, observe all commands. Everything I've commanded you to do, he says, teach them to do that. I'm telling you right now, I've failed to do that. I've failed to do that in my family, in this church, to teach you everything Jesus has told you. And it's not because I've wanted to, it's just because things happen. And I should have done more. And I should have preached that more. I should have made sure I focused on that more. But we get focused on one thing. As humans, we get like tunnel vision. We're like, I'm just going to get focused on this. Anybody have anybody that they know that has tunnel vision? Yes. They get focused on one thing, and until that is done or until they can figure that out, they forget about everything else. Guilty. Um, But our job, Sarah and I's job, is to teach every command that Jesus has commanded. Everything that he's told his disciples, it is our job to teach. Have we failed at that? Yes. Have we missed spots? Yes. But there's grace, there's forgiveness, and you know what? We focus on saying, okay, how do we teach people how to follow Jesus? The great thing is is this, is today we've got seven people that get to make a statement that I'm following Jesus. That I get to, they get to stand up and say, they get a picture, they get to put it on Facebook, and they get to say, hey, I'm following Jesus. They're making a stand, not in the physical, but in the spiritual, saying, I've chosen this. This is where I put my foot down. This is where I've chosen to follow my master, my king, my savior. And what that does is it creates something in the spiritual realm that says, oh, wait a minute. Don't get me wrong. You're going to get persecution. Not in the physical form, but the the enemy's going to be like, oh, you made that stand. Guess what? I get to mess with you more now. I get to do things to you. And you know what? But the great thing is we have a, a savior and a king who fights for us. Amen. The enemy doesn't like us making a stand. He likes us to be wishy-washy and kumbaya and you're God, everything is, is good and you're God's best. But Jesus says, make a stand, tell people how to make a stand, and make a spiritual and physical stand where you're at. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. He says, I've taken the keys from the enemy. He goes, go and do what I've done. Make disciples of men. Get baptized yourself. Make disciples. Go get baptized. Them. Have them make disciples. Go baptize them. It is time for us to make a stand and say, you know what, this is who I follow, this is who I believe in, this is my Savior, this is my King, I put my foot down here, I stand for Him, whether you make a personal public statement of baptism or if you've already been baptized and say, you know what, it's time for me to put my foot down. 
It's time for me to make that stand and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to be mad at what he tells me to do. I'm not going to be offended by what he tells me I'm doing wrong. You know what, the, you know what most of the church is offended about? It's because they don't want like what Jesus has to say. To them. It's not the people in the church. Like, oh, I don't like what Jesus said to me. We'll grow up and get over it. That's the thing. Paul says you need to grow up. We need to be mature. We need to make a stand and say, you know, I'm going to listen to what God says. And when he says something to me, whether I like it or not, I'm going to do it. That's called being a parent. Sometimes our kids will say, I don't want to do that. Well, I don't care. That's what you have to do. That's what you are required to do. And that's what God, as a, as a father, says to us. It's time for you to do this. You're like, I don't want to do it. And he's like, I don't care. You've told me that you give me your life. It's time for you to do what I've asked you to do. Paul says, I'm not a slave to sin. What does he say? I'm a slave to righteousness. Paul has given himself over. Paul, one of the worst of the worst. He gave himself to Christ and said, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you no matter what. No matter what happens, this guy was persecuted more than anybody. Shipwrecked, beat, whipped, stoned, you name it. If he can follow Jesus, our lives should be pretty easy, easily, um, we should very easily be able to follow Jesus. If you've been whipped, stoned, or beaten with rods in the last 10 years, let me know, and we'll, we'll figure out how, how to get that taken care of. But if Paul could follow Jesus in persecution and continue to preach the gospel, we in our cushy country, in our cushy churches, should be able to follow Jesus. But today, seven people are making a stand saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. If this scared you, any of you getting baptized, sorry. No, I'm just kidding. But you're making a stand today for your families, for your country, for your, your, where you work, whatever. Saying, I'm making a stand. I'm drawing my, a line in the sand and saying, this is who I serve. This is who I follow. I'm not going back and forth. I'm following Jesus. Let's pray.